0: Okay. Good to see you this, this morning. It's still morning, right? I don't know what day, time of day it is. Okay. We've had our grandkids with us all week, five and seven-year-old boys. So my wife's a zombie. Well, she had actually slept last night. We took them back yesterday. Uh, we met our kids. They live in Knoxville, Tennessee, and so we drove halfway there uh, Friday night, dropped off the kids yesterday, drove back here, did this act, the thing last weekend before that to pick them up. So it's really fun. You know, it's, it's, it's a great thing. Uh, it's just that... Uh, didn't get much sleep for the whole week. Um, anyway, that's part of the deal. Today, I have two things to ask you. I have some good news and some bad news. What do you want first? Why do you want bad news first? I'm not going to tell you either one right now, okay? Just because, you know, some of you are going to like it. Some of you won't make a decision. You just can't make a decision. I don't know bad news, good news. What am I going to do? Okay, anyway. And if some of you did, you want bad news. Anyway, I'm, I'll talk about that later. Um, Um, the the reality is, and and really I'll tell you the bad news and the good news, because the day the scripture we're looking at is about bad news and good news, okay? And what we're going to be looking at is Daniel chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Daniel chapter 5. I'm not going to read all of it, but you're going to refer to it. I'm also going to refer back to Daniel chapter 4 last week, but I'm not going to read any of that. Just refer to some of the story there, because there's a connection between the two sides. Um, We began a series back Oh, several weeks ago, in the earlier in the summer, uh, going through the Book of Daniel, uh, which is a great book to go through, and haven't gone through in a long time. Of course, we started in where Daniel chapter one. Where are you supposed to start in the beginning? And as we started in Daniel chapter one, we were introduced to some guys. uh, uh, Basically, it was one, two, three, five guys that would become pretty much in the first four chapters the people that we interacted with. Number one was Daniel. Uh, Then it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his friends. And then it was the king uh, that was in the first four chapters of Daniel. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. And if you can't remember, Nebuchadnezzar, just call him Nebi. And uh, that's close enough, okay? But Nebuchadnezzar is the first four chapters. He's the king of the Babylonians. And what we introduce to him in chapter 1 is that the people of Israel, the Jewish people, have been taken into captivity by the Babylonian nation. And Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the, Nebu- uh, of the Babylonian nation. And as he's take, the children are taken into uh, captivity... Um, they're Daniel and his three friends probably in their mid-teens at this point in time rise up into prominence in the kingdom because of the way they treat their captors and that's what the story's been about and then a bunch of visions and dreams and things that have gone on and then for some strange reason uh, in chapter five without any kind of introduction whatsoever Nebuchadnezzar drops off the map and we don't hear of him again because basically he's died and then a new guy shows up, and his name is Belshazzar, Belshazzar. Not to be confused, those of you who have been here this, this summer so far, with the Babylonian name of Daniel, which was Belteshazzar, okay, like Belteshazzar this new king, his name is Belshazzar, like the thing you ring. Okay. Ding, ding, bell. Okay. Belshazzar is his name. Okay. Very similar names. Both of them have to do with the worship of the god Bel, which is one of the gods there. And that's who we have. And, and he's just introduced to us and no introduction, just simply Belshazzar was king. This is what happens. Now we would seem if we just read scripture without knowing context or history, it would seem that, that, that Belshazzar was the person that That goes after Nebuchadnezzar, but it's not true. Because in history we know, and this is in in ancient history, we know that there were several kings in between uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Uh, The succession of kings in Babylon after Nebuchadnezzar died, most of them experienced untimely deaths. One was assassinated by his brother. Another of the kings was killed in battle. Another was captured by the Medes and the Persians and lived the life of a prisoner of war. And, uh, and then finally onto the scene comes a guy named Belshazzar, who really is introduced um, as, as a guy who we really don't know anything about other than the fact that he's introduced as the king, but he really wasn't even the king. You're going like, does it say in scripture. Well, no, we know in history and stuff that sometimes the wording they use there is a little strange because really it says that he was, the, his father, it says it calls his father is Nebuchadnezzar, but his father really wasn't Nebuchadnezzar because that word is also means uh, predecessor. It means that Nebuchadnezzar was his predecessor. And the reason we know that is in history, uh, actually the, the king right before um, right before the, the Persians take over, which we'll see at the end of this chapter here, was uh, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. I, I can't pronounce his name. But his son was Belshazzar, and he was a co regent, which means that he basically uh, was kind of a a (laughs) sub-king, I guess you call it. And he was placed over the the town of Babylon or city of Babylon, unlike his father who was over the whole country. Now, we have all that. Now, the thing that we remember, most people know that never read this chapter before, doesn't know anything, knows a, a saying or a phrase that's been used throughout the last 2,500 years to mean that your time is up. And it's the phrase, the handwriting on the wall. You ever heard that phrase before? So use that phrase for any reason whatsoever. The handwriting's on the wall. It means like your time is up, there's nothing left. And that phrase is actually introduced in chapter 5 of Daniel, we'll look at today. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the story and I am want to read some of the verses and talk about the good news, the bad news that comes in this. The thing we, we, we were first introduced for is the this story this, there's this guy named Belshazzar who's king. And, he, and he's there, and he what he decides to do, and if you read the first few verses, he decides to have a party. It's probably the most infamous party in all of history, because as he's there, he invites a thousand of his closest friends— and they're having obviously a pretty wild party. Uh, I'm not really a party person, so I don't know what goes on at wild parties. I just heard rumors, you know, of what goes on. Obviously, a lot of drinking involved in this party, because after a while at the party, what happens is, is, it's interesting because what happens is, is they decide to do something really crazy. That never happens at drinking parties, does it? Did people do crazy things? No, never. Um, But the thing is, is that they're there, they're going through this process, they're having, they're drinking, they're, you know, doing toast and stuff, and they decide for some reason, we don't know why, they decide to do this. Belshazzar decides to go and send some people into the storage room there at the palace, and to bring out some things that were there from his, from his predecessor's days Nebuchadnezzar's days, actually from the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's reign when he took over the, the, the people of the Israelites, and he took all the stuff out of Jerusalem and from the temple. He took out goblets and gold, gold goblets and all kind of, you know, things to drink out of and stuff like that. Nebuchadnezzar never in Scripture, it says, ever used those things. He just took them and brought them in the storage room. But for some strange reason, in the middle of this party, they'd been drinking for a while. They were kind of getting crazy and they're going like, let's do something fun. And so that for some reason they thought that fun was going and getting all these gold goblets out of the storage room and coming in there, and they poured wine or whatever they were drinking into that, and they began to make toast to the Babylonian gods. Now that doesn't seem like a big deal, except for one thing: these things that they they took out of there were things that had been taken out of the temple that were considered by the by the uh, Israelites as as sacred, things that God wanted them to not do anything bad with. It's not that they are actually sacred, but they're considered sacred in a sense. You know. Sometimes we, we think that things are sacred, but they're not. What's sacred is, is God and his, and his word and his people. And so that's what's going on here. And they do that. And in the middle of all this craziness, they're drinking, they're having this big time, something really kind of crazy goes on. Now, the question I have is this whole, so far in the book, the hero of the book of Daniel has been whom? This is really hard. Daniel, OK, good. OK. Daniel, who wrote the book, and he, he's the hero. He's not been seen so far. Where has he been? Well, he probably we know in history that after Nebuchadnezzar came out of power, and there's been probably 20 to 23 years since he came out of power and died and these other kings came along, he is kind of lost in a shuffle and all of his friends, and they're probably somewhere some lesser you know, positions, not even around the palace anymore, so they're not necessarily considered really you know, a big deal anymore. But the interesting thing about it is when they come to this place, and these things are going on, this party's going on, and something crazy I'm going to talk about in a minute happens, the really crazy part of the party. But the interesting thing about it in Scripture is this. In Scripture sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes some things in Scripture that happen later are prophesied earlier. And twice in two different parts of Scripture, in Isaiah and also in Jeremiah, the events of this day that we're going to be talking about in Scripture, of this party and what happens are prophesied. In incredible detail. And this happens, Jeremiah, a hundred years before this happens. So let's, let's just look at what it says that's going to happen. Um, Jeremiah chapter 50, verses 1 through 3, it says, "...this is the word the Lord spoke through Jeremiah the prophet concerning Babylon," That's is the country where they're at, "...and the land of the Babylonians. Announce and proclaim among the nations, lift up a banner and proclaim it, keep nothing back but say, Babylon will be captured." Baal, which is one of the Babylonian gods, uh, will be put to shame. Marduk, which is another Babylonian god, filled with terror. Her images will be put to shame. Her idols filled with terror. A nation from the north, we come to find out it's the uh, Persians, will attack her and lay waste her land. No one will live in it. Both men and animals will flee. And then remember, if you were here for, for part of this series, or at least earlier in chapter two, there was this weird vision that uh, Daniel interpreted of a dream of this giant statue, and the statue had a head of gold, uh, shoulders of silver, and it kind of went down and it was representing different nations. He says, "That sharpen the arrows," verse uh, Jeremiah fifty-one eleven. "Sharpen the arrows, take up the shields." The Lord has stirred up the king of the Medes because his purpose is to destroy Babylon. That was the one that represented the next kingdom that was come after Babylon a hundred years before it happened. The Lord will take vengeance, vengeance for his temple because they uh, destroyed the temple. And then to make uh, things a little more detailed, he said, this is what's going to happen on that final day. Okay. Remember we're having a party, they're drinking, they're doing all this stuff. And I'll remind you in a minute what's going to happen. He says this in verse 57 of Jeremiah 51, he says, Jeremiah says, I will make her officials and her wise men drunk, her governors, her officers and warriors as well, and they will sleep forever and not awake, uh, declares the king. What does that mean? They're going to be killed. That's what's going to happen. Declares the king, whose name is the Lord Almighty. And as we read in scripture here, and these prophecies were a hundred years before, as we read in scripture here in Daniel chapter 5, as they were having this party, and we know this from not only scripture, but from history, as they were having this party, the Persians led by a guy who was the king of the Persians, Cyrus, and either his general Darius or someone else similar to that um, were at the gates outside the temple outside i mean outside the walls of babylon trying to besiege the and they had a plan happening all at the same time this was going on so keep that in mind here in the story and then it says while they're having this party let's actually read some of daniel chapter five now verses five and six says this it says suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared in the middle of this party the fingers, a disembodied hand. I never seen that one before. I mean, I know people have got pretty drunk, and they've never seen that one before. You know, a disembodied hand, uh, human hand, appeared and wrote on the wall, um, plaster of the wall near the lampstand. It means that they had some light there, so they could see what's going on. That's near the lampstand. The king watched as the hand wrote it, and. Um, his face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. That's something that, that will make somebody sober up real quick. I mean, if you're drunk as a skunk and and, and, and and a disembodied hand comes and starts writing on the wall, and you probably, he was probably going, did you see that? Do you see that? And everybody's going like, yeah, we see that. Because everybody saw it. Because it wasn't just a vision or a or something that was going on and so that's what happens and so what does he do when he sees these words and the words are written in aramaic probably most likely kind of insinuates that in scripture aramaic was a known language by these people the problem was is even though they understood the words, they didn't understand the meaning of the words and so on the wall were written just just four words and 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 so he he goes and he does what every king before him has done when you don't understand something what do they always do in dan in daniel they call on the astrologers the wise men whoever they are and they keep doing this over and over again even though the guys never tell them anything sensible especially when it's important they make up stuff sometimes but never give them any really good advice but he calls them again he doesn't learn anything from past history and what do they do? They go like, well, we, under- we see the words, but we don't understand what they mean. And so all these people at the party, I, I, bet, I can bet the party kind of shut down at that point. You know, everybody's going, like, what is that? What's that hand doing? What does it mean? And so the good news is, this is not the good news I'm going to talk about later, that there was somebody else there that had some sense and the sense was this, it was the lady they call, and it says in there his mother, I mean the queen, but it's not, his, not the queen, his wife, because it says in verse, I think, two or three that uh, the, Belshazzar had all his wives and concubines there, so they were already hanging out there. But the, the, the translation in Hebrew uh, or Aramaic is, is, uh, is that she was probably the queen mother, and she was probably, they think in history, Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, Uh, and she she was the queen mother she was living in an apartment somewhere in the palace she heard all the ruckus going on she heard things quieting down probably got interested and comes in and what does she do she says hey belshazzar calm down there's somebody in the kingdom that's still around that probably can help you with this don't you remember all the stories you've been told And and the thing about this, we so often, sadly in our world today, we don't know a lot of things about history, so we repeat the same stupid mistakes of history in the past. But the thing is, is that in that culture in that day and in cultures in third world, the thing that's true is that people know history because it's passed down orally from generation to generation to generation in detail, in detail. I was amazed when I went to Africa uh, uh, five, six years ago, I I can't remember how long ago it was, about five years ago, and I was there in the villages, and they would be translated to me stories, and these were by the storytellers in the the village, and what they were told to do is there's people in the village whose basic purpose was to remember the stories and and, and not interpret them, but just quote them. Generation after generation after generation, because most of these people didn't read or write. So he knew the stories of what was going on and what had happened in the past, but obviously he didn't remember about this guy named Daniel. So the queen mother reminds him, so there's this guy in the kingdom. He's still around. You haven't used him. You haven't, you know, done anything with him. But she says, this is what he's like in verse 12. She says, he has a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Does that sound like somebody you could use? Yep. Yep. Let's, do, let's, let's bring that guy in. Now, we don't know how long it took. I'm sure they were on pins and needles until the guy showed up, because they're still sitting around looking at the writing on the wall. It hadn't gone away. They see the words. They don't understand what they mean in the context. And so finally, Daniel shows up in verses 13 and 14, and it says, Are you? And, and the king says, Are you, Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you. God's plural. That's the way he, would, he thinks. And that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. He's not going... Now, let me stop here a second. Back If you read back in chapter 4 and chapter 3, when we have encounters with Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar says to Daniel, you are a guy guy who has wisdom and knowledge. I know this to be true. But here what we see is a little different phrasing. Belshazzar says, I have heard, I don't know this for certain, I have heard that you have some knowledge, you have some wisdom. I'm hoping it's true. He doesn't really believe that what, that what uh, Daniel has is really from God because he has no experience with Daniel whatsoever. He has no, he has no understanding of that. And so once he says, says that, then in verse 16 basically, Belshazzar does what all leaders in that part of the world do, or any place probably in history. If they want to get something done, what do they do? They try to bribe a person. What happens in American government. No, no it doesn't happen there. Uh, you know, it happens in, in a lot of places. But he says this, so Belshazzar says to Daniel, says, if you can read this writing, and I hope you can, but I'm not really sure, and tell me what it means... You will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom behind me and my dad. See, he's the only motivation you to give, the enticement of position, possessions, and power. But what does Daniel say? Verse 17, Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to somebody else. I'm not interested in that stuff. And probably at that point, I hope he paused just for dramatic effect, you know, and, and, and Belshazzar said, like, oh man, it doesn't work with him. It works with everybody else. Give them money, they'll do anything. But Daniel says, nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. It's interesting. If we compare, if, if you go back and if you haven't been here with us, go back and read chapter four of Daniel and compare it with chapter 5, the difference in the attitude of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and Belshazzar. Totally different attitudes. There seemed to be this connection between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 where where Daniel's interpreting the dream of the tree in chapter 4. And when he does, he doesn't want to tell Nebuchadnezzar the dream because he knows it's about him and it's it's bad news. Because he he had built this relationship with him. And in in a sense, what he was doing also, he was concerned about him because he knew that that Nebuchadnezzar had hope. Because he had repented once before, or twice before, or three times before. And and he he messed up a few times, but he at least had a repentant bone in his body. But when we come to Belshazzar here, it doesn't seem that Daniel has a word of sympathy for the king. He says, I'll read the writing on the wall, but I don't think it's going to do any good. That's kind of what I read between the lines here. And so so verse 18 after he refuses the gifts he says your majesty the most high god gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor what is he doing here the next 4 or 5 verses here he gives a mini sermon and he says let me remind you of something before i tell you what it says on the wall what i want to tell you is this the reason your your and it's not really your father your predecessor Nebuchadnezzar had all this stuff is because God allowed it to happen. Because remember what is the theme we talked about week after, week after week, after week after week of the book of Daniel? It's this. God is in control. In spite of everything that look what everything looks like, God is in control. And God is the one who allowed Nebuchadnezzar and his and the people of Babylon to conquer the Israelite people to use them in a sense to bring them back to rep, the Israelite people back to repentance because they turned away from God. And so he reminds him of that. And he reminds him of what, what he went through about how he, how he uh, became like an animal, how Nebuchadnezzar became like an animal and was, was pushed away. He did all these things, and he tells him this little mini-sermon. And I'm wondering the whole time if, if, if Belshazzar was sitting there going like, okay, get on with it. Get on with it, old man. Because Nebuchadnezzar was probably in his 80s at the time. No one back the history of this as well. And so this young, young king who had no repentance, no whatever. He's probably getting fed up with, uh, with Daniel at this point. And so finally, he tells him what the dream means. And finally, he says, those four, four words up there, this is what they mean. And the four words are kind of weird words. They're mini, mini, tekel, parson, okay? It's Aramaic. And like I said, the people would have known what those words mean because they're, they're common words. But the context of the words didn't mean anything to them because it's most, uh, the first two were measurements of money. And the last one has to do with Persia and, and some other stuff too. And, and so they couldn't really figure it out. And he says this. He says, this is what those words mean. That's just why they're written on the wall. And, and I'm sure at that point, Belshazzar was going, to finally getting around to it. But it was bad news. He says, mene. And he does it twice. He says it twice for emphasis. This is what it means. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Daniel spoke the truth in spite of the fact that he could have been wiped out by this guy. He said, Your days have been numbered and brought to an end. It's all over for you, Belshazzar. God has called your number. Behind the magnificent walls that look so impregnable, there's a group of people called Persians, and they've been out there planning and plotting to get under the wall. We know this from history. Not just biblical history, but extra-biblical history as well. They're getting ready to go under. That very night, they actually breach and get into the city. He said, tekel, that word, T-E-K-E-L. You have been, it means this, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. That meant that the kingdom had been weighed and found too light, lacking in value. Babylon failed to meet God's standard. Your time's up. And then finally, the last word, Parson is a derivation of another word that means your kingdom is divided and it's going to be given to the Medes and the persians that's what the that's what those, those those words mean on the wall for you now if i heard that and i was belshazzar what would you think would you run screaming from the room would you get angry would you, what would you do i don't know but the reality is he must just I don't know if he's too drunk or what the deal was because he just simply says, okay, go ahead and give him the, give him the robe, give him the rent gold, you know, make him the third highest guy in the kingdom. And, and, and Daniel already said, I don't want anything to do with that stuff. Number one, I don't really, I'm not into stuff, but number two, this whole position thing in this kingdom is going to be really short lived because in just a few hours, it's going to be all over with. There's going to be somebody, there's going to be a new sheriff in town a new ruler. And so that's what he does. And then the chapter ends with verse 30, which says this. He says, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. The only thing I don't understand in that verse is why they gave his age. 62. What's the big deal about that? I'm going to be 62 in three weeks. Is that old or something? Is that what he told the story? You know, is that something or you know, is that a significant age? Is something magical happen when you turn sixty-two? I don't know. I, if you can tell me what why he, why that was important, I'd love to know. I've studied that. I've studied that. Nobody knows. I mean, sometimes they de- 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 details in scripture. Most time they make sense. This one it doesn't. You know, Darius the Mede took it over when he was sixty-two. Okay. I guess that's a good age to take over a kingdom. I don't know, but. Um, That's the deal. And then, and and so he does that. Now, how does that happen? Well, simply history, we we know this. Cyrus, who was the king of the Persians, he had been planning for a long time to take over the the kingdom of Babylonia. And the city of Babylonia was the place you got to take over. And as I shared with you, if you've been here for the last few weeks, the city of Babylonia was one of the incredible wonders of the world at that time. It was a huge city with a huge wall around it, 15 kilometers around a uh, three over 300 feet tall 80 feet wide it was really impregnable except for one thing they had to have a water supply and through the town under the wall in one location was a river that ran under the wall and went out the other side and so people could have that well cyrus in his brilliance what he did he figured out that what we're going to do is we're going to dam up the river before it gets to the wall and as the water level goes down, we'll be able to walk in the river, bed, under the wall, and come out. I don't know why the Babylonians hadn't figured it was a problem. That's what, exactly what they did. I mean, it, even as the water, and I'm sure this had to take several days to do this. As the water went down, they still didn't get it. And that very night, we know from historical documents that the Persians on both sides of the city came under the wall, took over the city, killed all the leaders, and no more, no more Babylonia at that point. The reality is this. The Bible tells us, not only in the Old Testament, the New Testament as well. It says in Galatians 6-7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And in Romans 1:18, it says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people. The bad news is this. God cannot be mocked. If you think that you can do anything you want to and get by with it for all of eternity, you're in trouble. Now you can get by with some stuff for a long time, but Belshazzar had gotten by, I don't know, we know how long he'd been in co-rule with his father, but because he, kept, he had no repentance and no desire to turn from, turn from his wicked ways and turn towards God, Basically, God said, I'm done with you, it's over with. And he was wiped out. That is the bad news. It means if we don't it means that we can't hide from God. I mean, we can hide from, you and I can hide a lot of things from other people, can we not? We can hide from all kinds of things from if, if I knew what was in your mind and you knew what was in my mind, you probably wouldn't like each other very much. Is that reality? because all of us have thoughts and sinful things in our minds that we sometimes don't act upon, hopefully. But the reality is, is that we can't hide those things from God or our actions that we have from other people as well. And so God says, if you think you can continue to do those things and ignore me completely like Belshazzar does, then the bad news is, is that God cannot be mocked. God is in control and he says this and, and, and even nations who think they can do that continually turn away from god and continue to prosper i like what isaiah says in chapter 40 of isaiah verse 15 he says surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket they're regarded as dust on the scales you know that all the great nations in the world have all passed away every every and it was some great nations that were more powerful than america is today considered the context of the world And we gotta understand that you know the only only reason we're still here is because God has allowed us to be. The reality is, the reality is we can't mock God. That's the bad news. The good news is, is that there's a difference. There's another attitude we see in chapter four. In chapter four is this, and 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 I love this. Let me ask you a question. We've been studying Nebuchadnezzar for the last four weeks, five weeks. Was Nebuchadnezzar a guy who was close to God or far from God most of those first four chapters? Would you consider him kind of like a guy who made messed up a little bit or a majorly? I would consider it majorly. Remember, you know, he had some dreams. And God kept telling him stuff. He said, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. He still didn't figure it out. He repented and he turned away from God. He repented and he turned away from God. He repented and he turned away from God. And what did he finally do? What he finally did is he came to a place in chapter 4 we saw where he had... He, he he had this vision of this tree and and we talked about this last week. And go back and listen to last week's message. And he, he tur- had this vision of the tree, and the tree was representative of him. But but Daniel told him he said, Hey, this you're gonna you're gonna be cut down, and and you're gonna become like an animal, and you're gonna wander around and uh, just eating eating grass and looking like an animal for like seven years of your life. And at that time, you'll finally come to your senses. And when you come to your senses. You'll finally look up to God and say, God, you are who you say you are, and I worship you. And so it ends up pretty well for him. But the reality is, is he spent years and years and years and years of his life far away from God. Nebuchadnezzar did. And we know that from the first four chapters. So, the good news is this. No matter how far away from God you have been or are now, you're not too far away to be redeemed by God. If you'll just do one thing, you'll say, God, I repent of my sin. I'm sorry that I do things my own way. I'm my own boss. And ultimately, God, I have to acknowledge that you are in control. Even though it doesn't seem sometimes and the world is a mess, you're in control. We see that in the book of Daniel, I love it. You have to take all of Scripture in context, not just one chapter, one verse out of context. The context of the book of Daniel is that God is is in control. And for those who are willing to turn back to Him, no matter how far you've been away from God, God will will allow you to do that. I've heard so many people say, well, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've done. God always has His arms open for you. But if you fail... If you fail to turn back to Him, there's only one fate. There's only one fate, and it's not good. So, two phrases that come out of this chapter, chapter five, that I think is important for us to remember. Maybe stick these on your refrigerator, write them on your, put them as a screen saver on your phone. And that's these two phrases Your days are numbered, and the handwriting is on the wall. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older. <laughs> it has nothing to do with that. But, you know, I'm starting to be aware that I'm going to live, I got less life behind me than I, I mean, in front of me than I do behind me. Unless I live to be 124 years old, okay? Which I doubt it, seriously. I have long-lived family, but not that long. And so the deal is this, yeah. But that's not really important because... I also know that the handwriting is on the wall, and the handwriting for us that's on the wall is not a finger of God, it's this. And this, God's Word tells us clearly that if we'll turn to Him, that this is, while we're here upon this earth, is not the best that we're going to experience. We're going to experience eternity with Him. And this time here upon this earth is just a preparation for all of eternity. And in doing that, I, I, you know, I, even though my days are numbered and your days are numbered, I don't care how, how old you are, how young you are. Your days are numbered. I, I don't know anybody that's never died. Even though they had a miracle happen in their life. I know people, you know, that had some miracles happen. They still died eventually. Physically. But the reality is, so often, is we simply think we can live forever, especially when we're young, for some strange reason. But the reality is, your days are numbered, and the handwriting is on the wall, and the handwriting tells us there's two choices. One, be like Belshazzar and risk annihilation. Or two, hopefully not be like Nebuchadnezzar and have to go through seven years of wandering around like an animal before we figure it out it's always better to learn from other people's mistakes than to make them yourself and that's what god is telling us through the book of daniel very clearly that's the good news you're never too far away from god the bad news is god is in control and there is a place a time when the handwriting is on the wall and your time is up if you won't turn to him What's your choice what's your choice let's pray god we thank you so much for the fact that uh, you love us so much but god you love us so much that you want us to and sometimes we think it's about you controlling us no it's not about you controlling us god what it's about is you wanting us to have the best and the reason you want us to turn to you and accept the gift that you have given us through your son jesus christ is because is because what it is is that you know what's best for us god and so often we think we know what's best but then we come to find out down the road we wish we hadn't done that i cannot tell i don't think there's a person here who can say that everything in their life they wish they if they had to go back and do it over again they would do it over again there's probably something that they would change and god in doing that we realize that you if we follow you god you'll lead us You lead us where we need to go that's best for us because you love us that much you love nebuchadnezzar that much that you kept guiding guiding he kept making small incremental steps toward you god and finally it came to a time where he said to you god god you are the lord and the creator of the universe and i trust in you but sadly god you give us the other choice and i I understand this god you give us you give us choice you give us freedom And that other choice is to choose the path of Belshazzar. And that path leads to destruction. Destruction and separation from you for all of eternity. Help us, God, to make the choice for life and wholeness and an eternity that begins now. of experiencing the fullness of knowing you, God. doesn't mean everything's gonna be easy. It wasn't easy for Daniel or his friends in captivity, but God, you you helped them to thrive in the midst of a difficult situation because they were following you and seeking you, God. Guide us to stay as we close the service by singing a song to you that, uh, we'll ask ourselves that question. What choice have we made? Do we understand that our days are numbered? And we can't just mess around and, and wait and wait and wait and say, oh, I'll, get, I'll do that later. The choice we need to make is the choice we need to make today. And that choice, God, is to follow you. God, if there's someone here this morning that needs to do that, I pray that they would share that with somebody else who, uh, that they can talk about that with. And if they need to talk with someone else on staff, or myself, that they would do so. That they would take that next step with you guide us now, God, to be thankful for this Old Testament book that has so much richness and so many things to do to say to us, that's relevant today just as much as it was 2,500 years ago when it was written. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.